a man uh, was walking past a house and he saw a sign outside the house saying, talking dog for sale. And so he knocks on the door and says, you've got a talking dog for sale, can I see it? And the owner of the house takes him out the back and the dog's in the back garden, it's a Labrador. And he, he goes over to the Labrador and he says, do you really talk? And the dog says, yes. And, uh, th and after recovering from the shock of hearing the dog talk, the man asks, well, tell me your story. And I'm not going to keep doing dog language here, but the Labrador looks up and, and says, well, I discovered I could talk when I was pretty young. I, I wanted to help the government, so I was sold to MI6. In no time, they had me jetting from country to country, sitting in rooms with spies and world leaders because nobody would ever imagine that a dog would be listening in and eavesdropping. And I was one of their most valuable spies for eight years. But all of the jet setting started to tire me out. And so I, I knew I wasn't getting any younger. I wanted to do something a little bit, bit less taxing. So I decided to settle down. I signed up for a job at Heathrow Airport to do some undercover security work. I wandered near suspicious characters and listened in and I uncovered some incredible crimes and was awarded several medals. Then I got married, had a few puppies, and now I've just retired. The man, as you can imagine, is absolutely amazed. He goes back into the house and he says, how much, how much for the talking dog? And the owner says, 10 quid. And the man is stunned. He says, 10 pounds for a talking dog? Why is it so cheap? And he says, because he's a complete and total liar. He worked in Gatwick, not Heathrow Airport. And my point is this, that sometimes we get so focused on the one thing that's wrong that we miss everything else that's right. We get focused on the one negative that we miss all the positive. We get fixated on the wrong and the mistake and we disregard the good and overlook the positive. And we can call it all sorts of things. Sometimes we say they've got a glass half empty mentality. Or we, we would say they're a bit of a downer. You know, a Debbie Downer, a, a fault finder, a negative Nancy or a, a, a negative Neil. Not, Neil here is not negative, but... <laughs> But it was the only end, word I could, uh, end name I could think of. But, but, but we, we come up with all sorts of names. But what, what we really are saying sometimes is they've got a critical spirit. They've got a critical spirit. That there's some people that no matter how good things are going in their life, they always manage to find the thing that's going wrong. They always find something to complain or criticize. Do you know anyone like that? Don't elbow them if you're beside them. <laughs> People with critical spirits, are, they're just a lot of fun to be around. But actually, it's something that I've discovered, I was going to say it's a bit like boogers. You can spot them in others, but, but you can't spot them in yourself. Um, that was just a wee illustration for, for the 16 to 30-year-olds there, okay? That, that, that it's, like, it's like when you've got a, a mark on your face or, 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 or something, or a stain on your shirt. Everybody else can see it, but you can't see it in yourself. But a critical spirit is something that can affect all of us and infect all of us to different degrees. It creeps into our lives subtly and it begins to slowly steal our joy. It robs us of our gratitude and it causes us to underappreciate the good things God has given us. And often it doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't feel like one of the big sins. It doesn't feel like murder or adultery or one of those big sins. But actually we're going to see today that God takes a critical spirit very seriously because it harms our relationships and it hinders us from enjoying the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And so we're going to look at Exodus 16 and the sermon is called A Critical Spirit and a Generous 
God. Or a shorter title might be Grumbling, Grace, and Gratitude. Look at verse 1 with me for some context in Exodus chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So the context here is this. It's about six weeks since they have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Remember, they were slaves for 400 years. They cried out to God. God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. Moses went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Eventually, Pharaoh relents. He lets the people go, and they've come across the Red Sea, and they're now at the other side of it. And it says that they've paused for a while at this place called Elam. That's not the local Elam Pentecostal church. It was this uh, this oasis, this, this place of, of, of rest, and now they're in the desert of sin, not sin like we think of it today, sin as is on the way to Sinai. Uh, and, 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 and that's where they are. They're on this journey from slavery to the promised land. They're not where they were, but they're not where they want to be. They're in the in-between. And sometimes when you're not where you were and you're not where you want to be when you're in the, in the between, you feel insecure, things feel uncertain, and things come to the surface and, uh, and can steal your joy in that place. And that's what happens. They begin to grumble and they begin to complain. Look at verses 2 and 3 next. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. They develop a critical spirit. Now, that might sound like an extreme because this feels like a one-off incident, but this complaining, this grumbling, this critical, this negative attitude actually becomes something that characterizes them. It's something that we see repeated again and again and again in this community and eventually brings them under the judgment of God. In the passage right before this one, in Exodus 15, it says, So the people grumbled against Moses. 16.2, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 17.3, they grumbled against Moses. Later in Numbers 14.2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Numbers 14.36, the whole community grumbled against him by spreading a bad report. Numbers 16.41, the next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses. Do you see the pattern? Grumble, 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 grumble. These were a people who had become affected and infected with a spirit of grumbling and a critical spirit. So what? What's that got to do with us, Craig? Are you trying to tell us something? No. But let me tell you how I ended up preaching on this this morning. I'd actually, I got up on Monday morning early and I'd started my sermon prep and I was looking at a different passage and I'd made notes on it and it was going well. But then after I left Elijah to school, I came home and I, I was having my own daily devotional and I'm, I'm reading through Exodus and that. Do you remember I had preached about a month ago on the burning bush and what have you in your hand? And, 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 and so I decided just as I'd been preaching on that, that I would keep reading through Exodus and studying it in my own devotional time. And, and on Monday morning, it just happened to be that I was at Exodus 16, and I read this passage. And as I read it, I felt the Holy Spirit cause me to pause. And I felt the Holy Spirit say this, that the critical spirit is one of the predominant spirits in our land. That in Northern Ireland, a critical, judgmental, negative, grumbling spirit 
is one of the predominant spirits in our land. And my first thought was, well, everybody grumbles everywhere. I mean, we see it here thousands of years ago, so. But then I began to think of other places I've been in. Yes, people do grumble, but there's something in Northern Ireland where we just love a good grumble, where we just love, you know, you, you say to somebody, how are you doing? Not too bad. Could be worse. Can't complain. And then they follow it up with, but if it did, who would listen anyway? It's just part of our culture. As part, there's something within the north. And you know what? Other cultures have their own predominant spirits. And I was thinking about down south and, and, and some of the predominant spirits I saw down there. And as I've traveled in America and other places, I've seen other spirits. But in Northern Ireland, we have different things. But one of the predominant spirits, I believe, is this spirit of grumbling. And so I, 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 I was thinking about that. I'm not talking about hope specifically here, by the way. Please hear that. I'm, sp I'm speaking about our wider culture in Northern Ireland. There's a chronic negativity, a fault finding of focusing on what's wrong rather than looking at what's right. And so I'm having this conversation with God. This is a Monday morning past, and then about an hour later, I, I headed over. I was meeting a couple I'd never met before. They were an Australian couple. Uh, they were, I was meeting them over in Bambridge. They had been recommended by friends of mine. They worked with church leaders all over Australia. And I'd heard great things about them. And I, I, I'd, I'd wanted to meet them, and we met for coffee. And a lovely couple, probably in their early 60s, she's a psychotherapist. He works with leaders. They were part of the Hillsong movement for 25 years, and now they just spend their time working with, with church leaders and dealing with issues in churches. And, and uh, we were chatting about different things, and uh, they've been in Northern Ireland three times, and, and we got talking about church, and, and, and they said, you know, we were at a, a particular church the day before on Sunday, and they said the worship was great. But, but the, 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 the wife said this. She said, you know, it was like we kept hitting a wall in worship. And sometimes I feel that here. It feels like you get so far and, and you just keep hitting a wall. And she said in the middle of the worship as we kept doing that, the band were doing great. Everything was great. But there was just this sense of, of we weren't breaking through. And she says, I asked the Lord, what's going on? And the Lord said, there's a critical spirit in this land and it's hindering my spirit. And I was stunned because an hour before, I had felt the Lord say the exact same thing to me. And she said, you know, in Australia, we have got our own issues. But she said, this is my third time in Northern Ireland. And I have noticed that there's just something here. There's some sort of spirit here in your culture. And she says, I don't know if it's come from the troubles or if it's, I, I, she says, I don't know where it's come from, but I have noticed that there's this critical negative spirit. And I said, well, you're being a little bit critical and negative about our culture. Why don't you go back to Australia? No, I didn't say that. Uh, good eye, mate. But, um, but, 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 but I actually, I was genuinely stunned because I felt, you know what? The Lord has just confirmed what he spoke to me an hour ago at home. And so I went back and I began to study this passage in Exodus 16. And I, I, I began to think about it more and more. What does a critical negative spirit look like in a community? How does it manifest itself? What impact does it have? And what can I do about it? And let me say again, this is not me having a go at us, okay? This is not that I got a few nasty emails this week and this is my way of responding to them. That is not the case at all. This is a church where I believe we are not like that. We are kind-hearted, we are generous, we are, we are full of gratitude. So this is not me having a go. But we are part of a wider culture. 
where this is predominant. And what I've discovered is this, that when God begins to move in any church, one of the ways the enemy gets in is like this. I have seen it again and again and again. When the Spirit of God comes and does what we have been asking the Spirit of God to do, the enemy comes in with negativity and with criticism and with complaining. And three months later, three years later, the whole thing has fallen apart. And so my theory is this, prevention's better than cure. Prevention's better than cure. I would rather make us aware of one of the enemy's schemes because the Bible says, do not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. I would rather make us aware of this. And if there is something of this in our hearts that we would repent, that we would renounce it, that we would deal with it, and we would resolve that we wouldn't be a people of a critical spirit. We've all seen it in other places, I'm sure. Some of you have seen it in workplaces. Have you ever been in a workplace where there's just a negative critical culture? I have. Before I, worked in, before I went into ministry, I remember working in a place and every time you left the room, you just had this sense that somebody was talking about you. Why? Because every time somebody else left the room, they were talking about them. I've seen it in churches. I know none of you will have ever have been part of a negative, critical church, but I, I, I have seen it. I, I've, I've stood at the front of churches and I've, I've felt the judgment in the room of people just saying, just, we're just waiting for you to say something wrong. We're just waiting for you to, 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 to say something that theologically we don't agree with or something we can jump all over and call you a heretic. I've, I've seen it in families. I've witnessed it where children grow up and they can never do right. Where there's a critical spirit in the home. And no matter how good the children do, or no matter how well they behave, or no matter how good their results are, it's never enough. So what I want to do this morning is to identify what it looks like and like I say, if we're convicted of it, that we wouldn't be condemned, but that we would repent. And that if, that if what I'm saying, and I believe it is true, if that is part of our culture and part of our community, one of the greatest ways we can be set apart as Christians is not to have that. That we would be a people who speak life. We would be a people who speak faith. We would be a people who look for the good, not the bad. We would be a people who speak encouragement. We would be a people who call people to a higher standard rather than trying to pull them down. We would be a people who build up rather than destroy. So let's look at these verses in Exodus 16. We're going to look at five ways quickly. A critical spirit manifests itself, and then we're going to look at just what uh, we can do about that. And the first one is this. A critical spirit constantly seeks to find fault. A critical spirit constantly seeks to find fault. Look at verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. These people are in the wilderness and they're hungry. In fact, they're not hungry. They're what my wife is some days, hangry. Okay, they're hungry and they're angry. And they immediately take it out on Moses and Aaron. They take out their frustration on their two leaders. What have Moses and Aaron done wrong? Think about it. Absolutely nothing. Moses had a safe comfortable life back in Midian looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He was fine until God showed up 
and asked him to go back to Egypt. This was not Moses' idea. This was God's idea. The only thing Moses and Aaron have done is obey God. They've left their life behind. They've left their comfort behind. They've left their security behind. They've confronted Pharaoh. They've put their life in their hands. And now they're wandering through the wilderness with this couple of million people who they don't even know. And they're getting criticized for it. They have nothing to gain personally from any of this. And yet the people are finding fault. It's their fault that there's no food. It's their fault that they're uncomfortable. It's their fault that their life isn't perfect. No, there's, there's no focus on how much these men have sacrificed. It's just, this is what you're doing wrong. Blame them as soon as there's something there's not happy about. And that's what the critical spirit does. The critical spirit ignores all the good and looks for the bad. It overlooks the positive that someone has done and focuses on what they perceive to be a negative thing. It forgets all the ways that somebody has helped you in the past and it tells everyone about the one thing that you don't like about someone. I've found that fault finders often have perfectionist tendencies. They hold other people to an impossible standard, a standard that nobody can meet, not even themselves, but they don't like to talk about that. They nitpick, they look for flaws in others. They perceive every fault they can, and they complain about it. They're the sort of people Jesus talked about when he was talking about the religious people in Matthew 7. Look at what he says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same measure or in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? People with a critical spirit are expert speck finders. They're constantly looking for the speck in somebody else's eye without realizing that they're walking about with half a tree sticking out of their own eye. They're pretty convinced that nobody can do things as well as them. And if the world and if everybody else was just a bit more like them, then the world would be a much better place. And they excuse it. They say things, I'm just telling the truth. I'm calling a spade a spade. Or they'll say things like, I'm just playing devil's advocate. You know what? Actually, you're right there. You are playing the devil's advocate. I don't want to be an advocate for the devil. I don't want to represent the devil in any way. But actually, that's what they're doing because actually, the, ultimately, the source of a critical spirit is not the Holy Spirit. It's the enemy. It says this in Revelation 12.10. It calls Satan the accuser of the brethren, the one who accuses the brothers and sisters day and night before the throne of God. Satan is the accuser. Satan is the fault finder. Satan is the one who's constantly looking for something wrong in your life. That is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is a fruit of the demonic spirit. Satan is the one that you will end up looking like if you have a critical spirit, not Jesus. It's the opposite of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to build up, encourage, bless, edify, strengthen, embolden. You know, this word grumble is used over and over and over again. That's, that's a good word because a person is, with a critical spirit is a grumbler. You see, there's, there's times when we do have to confront people, and that's not what I'm saying here. There are times when people do things wrong, and we go to them in the, in the spirit of Matthew 18, and we confront them, and we should do that. This isn't saying that you just overlook everything everyone does. But that's different from grumbling. Because a grumbler doesn't go to a person 
a grumbler goes to other people. A Christian goes to the person. A grumbler goes to other people. A grumbler calls other people aside and grumbles. Grumble, mumble, Do you see what they did? And a grumbler's always trying to bring people on board, on site, so that they can go away and say, everybody thinks the same as me. Everybody says it. A grumbler is someone who mutters. They, they, they're, they're whispering in the background. They, they call people over. They're, they're having little secret meetings, and they're infecting other people with their negativity, and it begins to spread. And that leads to my second point, and that is this. A critical spirit is contagious. A critical spirit is contagious. In the previous chapter, in chapter 15, when the people are thirsty, we read this. The people grumbled against Moses. And the language in the Hebrew seems to indicate not all the people, but a group of people. Some of the people, a handful of people grumbled against Moses. But now we get to chapter 16, and we read this. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So this grumbling, this criticism, this negativity has gone from a group of people to the entire community. And that's what we find. When you get critical negative people, it begins to spread through an organization. It begins to spread through a workplace. It begins to spread through even a housing development. It begins to spread through a church. That they begin to affect and infect the people around them because they're looking for your agreement. They're looking for you to validate their opinion. You know, I wasn't a big fan of COVID restrictions. There's a shock to some of you right there. But if I could bring back one restriction, do you know what it would be? Two meters away from negative people. Two, two, stay two meters, social distance two meters from people with a critical spirit. Because what they have is far more contagious than any virus out there. And what they have is probably far more damaging than any virus out there there. It will spread through a community, bringing disunity, broken relationships, and distrust. Stay away from grumblers with a negative, critical spirit. You don't want to catch what they're carrying, and so the best thing is to socially isolate them. This is encouraging this morning, isn't it, folks? I can just feel it. I can feel the love in the room. You know, in, in Second Timothy, it says that in the last days, preachers will uh, preach whatever your itching ears want to hear. This isn't one of those sermons. Okay, number three, a critical spirit exaggerates the negative. Look at verse three. A critical spirit exaggerates the negative. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. I mean, this is... It's actually almost funny if it wasn't so sad. I mean, if only we had stayed, if only we had died in Egypt instead of coming out here, you know? It's so dramatic. If only we had died, dead and buried back there instead of being hungry here today. You know, any of you with kids ever deal with that sort of drama? <laughs> oh, I hate my life and my life is awful. Why? The internet's slow today. You know, everybody hates me. You know, one kid in school gave you a dirty look today. I'm starving. I'm going to die. Yet half an hour ago, son, you know. But it's not just kids. Even adults can be dramatic at times. <laughs> this morning, I don't know what time it was. Yeah, I do want to go here, Becky Cooney. I do want to go here. Because this is therapy for me. Okay, somewhere around probably 3 a.m., 
yeah? I'm in a deep sleep. And I hear, oh, 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 oh. And I wake up and she's like, my arm's numb, my left arm's numb. I have no feeling in my left arm. I have no feeling in my left arm. And she's sitting up, I have no craving. And I'm like, you've been lying on it. You've got pins and needles. Hit it a few thumps and it'll be fine. And she went, oh, it's fine now. Am I lying? You're exaggerating. <laughs> you didn't hear that. What she said was you're speaking the entire truth, <laughs> Craig. Dramatic. Dramatics. And these people are being dramatic. Look at what they say about Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all day long. This is Egypt they're talking about. This is the place where they were slaves. This is the place where they were harshly punished. This was the place where they had no freedom. They were beaten. They had, they, they, they had hard labor. This was the place where Mer Pharaoh murdered the firstborn child in every family. This is the place where they were given scraps to eat by their Egyptian taskmasters. But look at how they remember it. We sat around pots of meat and they had all the food we wanted. It's like they remember it as a fact five-star hotel with an all-you-can-eat buffet. They remember it as a season passed to, to, to Holy Smokes Barbecue Shack. You know, that's what they're thinking Egypt was like here. It's a low-carb, all-meat place. And I love the thought of that, but it's just not true. A critical spirit sees life through a skewed lens. They reminisce with rose-colored glasses, and they magnify the negative in the present. The past was always better than today, and the present is worse than it is. Things are always better somewhere else than here. The grass is always greener. Things are always better at a different time than now. Things were always better, but remember the good old days? They live in the land of nostalgia. If only things could be like they were back then. The thing is, when they were living back then, they were just as miserable, if not more miserable, than they are now. A critical spirit distorts your view of reality. You don't see things as they are. You see things as you are. We all do that a bit. We all look back and we magnify the good at times. That relationship that was awful, that relationship that was abusive, you look back and you go, oh, actually, that fellow wasn't that bad at all. All your friends are like, really? He was awful. He was awful. You hate your job and you moan and complain. You get a new job. Oh, I, I miss my old place. The people were so much friendlier there. You move house. And you've been saving and you've been praying for this new house. And you get it. And you're, my neighbors were so much friendlier in the last place. Your minister moves on. This isn't prophetic at all. Believe me. <laughs> But I've seen it, and you've seen it. The minister moves on, and they go, and everybody, after he moves on, talks about how wonderful he was, but when he was there, nobody said a nice thing about him. We've all, we've all seen it. The past was always better than the present. We look at the past through rose-tinted lenses, and we look at the present through negative lenses. You know what's a gift when we can see things as they really are? Because we can thank God for the good he did in the past, and we can thank God for the good he's doing in the present, even if neither of them were perfect. You know, today is the sixth anniversary of us starting here in Hope. First of, I'm pretty sure it was the 1st of October. 
2017 was the first Sunday that I stood up here. And you know what? In six years, there's been a lot has happened, okay? There's been a lot of stuff has happened. And I can look past it the last six years and I could focus on the, this wasn't great and this wasn't great and this. But you know what I do? I look back and I say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you did. Yes, there were difficult times. Yes, everything hasn't been perfect. But God, you have been so faithful. And I can look at today and I can say, you know what, God? Things aren't perfect today. We're not where we, we're better than we were, but we're not where we could be. But thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing today. That's what seeing things properly is. Not things were always better back then than they are now. Every time and every place has its issues, and every time and every place has its blessings. And it's simply what you choose to focus on. Number four or five. A critical spirit attributes false motives to others' actions. It attributes false motives to others' actions. Look at verse three. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. I mean, really, is that true? Was Moses sitting looking after his father-in-law's sheep in Midian, and one day he just thinks to himself, you know what I could do? I could go to Egypt, and I could get the, the Israelites free, and I could bring them out into the wilderness just so they could starve, and that would teach them. I mean, that's basically what they're saying. Moses, you came here to bring us out to starve us. It isn't true. It's the farthest thing from his mind. He's simply there to obey God. He's only doing what God told him to do. In fact, here's the thing. Moses was the answer to their prayers. In Exodus 2.23, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. So the people became so oppressed in slavery, they cried out to God for deliverance, and God sent Moses as a deliverer. And they complained at the answer to their prayers. The one that God sends in response to their prayers, they now criticize him and attack him. But they not only attack him, they attack his character and they attack his intentions and they attack his motives. They're complaining about the very thing they once prayed for. Again, nobody here does that. Okay, I know that. But I have met people in other places who, Lord, please give me a husband or Please give me a wife. And three years later, God, I can't believe you gave me that. Lazy, good for nothing. And you're complaining about them. They were the answer to your prayer. God, please give me a job. I really need a job. I need to put food on the table. Six months later, I hate this job. I hate the people in this job. I can't stand this place. Like I say, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about... I'm talking about other people. These people prayed for Moses, and now they're tearing him to shreds. That's what a critical spirit does. They, they, they're, they're, they're placing motives onto him that simply aren't true. They're making assumptions about his intentions that simply aren't true. They're making up scenarios in their head. And we can do that at times. Somebody ignores us. Somebody doesn't look at us. Somebody, somebody isn't, doesn't smile. And, and suddenly, by three hours later, we've come up with a whole scenario in our heads about that person when actually maybe they just didn't see us. Or maybe they've got stuff going on in their life. Or maybe they've stuff on their mind. Or maybe they're having a bad day. But we create all sorts of scenarios, and they're never the best. 
there are nearly always we start to think the worst about people. Here's what I've discovered. You will never do enough for someone who has a critical spirit. You will show up and help them 99 days out of 100. But on the 100th day, if you're five minutes late, they'll say, you never care about me. You're always late. Because that's what a critical spirit does. You will give and you will give and you will give. And then people will say, they never did anything for me. I've seen people in church where people have poured into them, people have loved on them, people have, have tried to help them for three years, and then they leave and they say, that church is really unloving. Because when you have a critical spirit, when you have a negative spirit, nobody can ever do enough for you. Number five, you'll be glad to hear. A critical spirit overlooks God's goodness and grace. A critical spirit overlooks God's goodness and grace. Look at verses 68 with me. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. See, here's the thing about grumbling. We might say it's about other people, but ultimately we're grumbling against God and the things he has placed in our lives. When God gives you a job and you grumble against it, you're not grumbling against the job. You're grumbling against God. When God puts people around you and you grumble against them, you're not grumbling against them. You're grumbling against the provision of God. And they just thought they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, but it's made very clear here that God takes it personally, that they're grumbling against him. They're grumbling against the same God who delivered them from slavery. They're grumbling against the God who sent plagues against the Egyptians. They're grumbling against the God who parted the Red Sea. They're grumbling against the same God who destroyed their enemies. They're grumbling against the God who leads them as a pillar of cloud by, by day and a pillar of fire by night. They're grumbling against the God who provided water in the wilderness. They're grumbling against the God who has loved them and cared for them and provided for them and led them into freedom. That's the God they're grumbling against. After all they have experienced of his goodness, after all they have witnessed of his faithfulness, after all they've received of his provision, what do they do? They grumble in return. They criticize in return. They turn their hearts away from him because they're hungry and uncomfortable. A critical spirit forgets about all the good things God has done and remembers the one thing that he hasn't done so far. A critical spirit forgets about all the prayers that God has answered in your past, but only focuses on the one prayer that he hasn't yet answered. We don't praise him for all the times he has provided for us and protected us throughout our lives. We remember the one thing that went wrong, and we focus on that, and we believe that God let us down. And I know this is convicting, and I, I have found it convicting because I know that this is how I can behave at times. A critical spirit, I think, is so damaging because it is a spirit that lacks gratitude for the goodness of God. It takes God's goodness and it takes God's grace for granted. 
And it's rooted in fear and a lack of trust. Because it doesn't see how good God has been in the past and how far we can trust him in the present. It's constantly saying, I don't believe God can come through for me. I don't believe God can help me. A critical spirit takes our eyes off God's goodness and his faithfulness and his provision. And it causes us to focus on where we think God hasn't come through for us. And a critical spirit, it robs our joy. I don't ever think I've met someone with a critical spirit who's a joyful person. A critical spirit steals our peace and it hinders our worship. And it causes us to focus on what we lack rather than all we have. It keeps us looking at what we don't have rather than thanking God for what we do have. It magnifies the faults in other people rather than magnifying the good things in them. And a critical spirit is toxic in our communities. It's destructive in our workplaces. It's deeply damaging in our families. It diminishes the confidence of our children. And it destroys our marriages. It's poisonous. It contaminates everything good in our lives. And it's an offense to God because it takes for granted all of his goodness. It overlooks his kindness. It disregards his blessings. It ignores his provision. Remember what my my new friends from Australia said to me? They said, we felt like we kept hitting a wall in worship because of a critical spirit. That made sense to me. Because if you have a community where there's a critical spirit, there's a lack of gratitude. Where you have a community where there's a critical spirit, people aren't looking up at God in worship, they're looking around the room at each other. Where you have people where there's a critical spirit, they're not remembering God's faithfulness in the past, they're thinking about everything that's wrong right now. A critical spirit ultimately is a proud spirit. It thinks it's better than other people. It assumes the worst of other people. But a critical spirit ignores its own need for the grace of God. Yes, I need grace, but not as much as other people do. Yes, I might not be perfect, but they're far worse than I am. It has a sense of prideful superiority. It's like the people, the religious leaders who dragged the woman caught in adultery before Jesus, and they wanted to stone her because they all thought they were better than her. And what does Jesus say? If you're better than her, throw the first stone. And they all walked away. The truth is that every single one of us are in desperate need of the grace of God. Every single one of us have experienced blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, favor upon favor from God. And not one of us is any more deserving of God's grace than anyone else. Each one of us needs the gospel. Each one of us needed Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And not one of us are any better than anyone else. And so when we have a critical spirit, what we're saying is actually, I'm a little bit, I didn't need just as much grace. And we're diminishing the grace of God. A critical spirit underestimates the depth of our own sin and it underestimates the greater depth of God's great love for us expressed in Jesus. And as I finish, there's good news and there's bad news. I'll give you the good news first. The good news is even if we have a critical spirit, God still loves us and God still meets our needs. 
That's the thing. He's so kind. Look at verses 4 and then verse 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So the people are grumbling because they're hungry. And God doesn't punish them by saying, you know what? You can starve. He says, every day you're going to get up. And there's going to be this white stuff on the ground. And you're going to gather it. And you're going to eat it. And it's, it's going to look like wafers or feel like wafers, but it's going to taste like honey. And every day for 40 years, God provided for their needs, even though they kept grumbling against him. Because his grace was greater than their grumbling. He's so kind. And it's the same for us, you know. Even when we grumble, we come against God's grace. Even in our grumbling, we experience the goodness of God. Because what was he trying to teach them and what's he trying to teach us? That you can trust him for today. They were to collect only enough manna for each day. Give us this day our daily bread. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. And what God is trying to teach his people is, you don't need to grumble today because I will give you what you need today. You will lack nothing. And you know what? I have spent a lot of time grumbling, but can I say to you, I have never had a day in my life that God hasn't met my needs. Have you? Has there ever been one day in your life when God hasn't met your needs? Not your wants, not your desires, your needs. He has been so faithful. And therefore, I don't grumble today or I shouldn't grumble today because I know I have a good Father in heaven who is able to provide what I need today. So that's the good news. There's always more grace than there is grumbling. But there's also a, a downside. And it's this, a critical spirit might not keep you out of heaven, but a critical spirit will stop you entering into the fullness of what God wants to give you in this life. A critical spirit will not mean that you go to hell, but it will diminish your ability to enjoy the abundant life that Christ died to give you. And it will hinder you from walking into the blessing and favor that God has made available to you. Why do I say that? Because eventually... Their critical spirit keeps them out of the promised land. In Numbers 14, this is about two years later from the passage we read in Exodus 16. They sent the spies into the promised land. They come back with a bad report. And look at what we read. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declare this to the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I've heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, each one of you, 20 years old and more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land. I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. You know what? They kept saying this. They kept saying, if only we had died in Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. And eventually God says, I'm going to give you what you want. Your words have become a self-fulfilling prophecy. See, that's the thing about speaking 
criticism. That's the thing about speaking negativity. We have all at times, and maybe you are that person, who has met someone whose parents spoke negativity and criticism over them and has actually become a, a prophetic statement over their life. You'll never amount to anything. You're so clumsy. You can never do anything right. And they go through life and that's the words they carry with them. And God says to these people, you're telling me you want to die. You're telling me you wish you'd die. You know what? I'm going to give you, you're not going to enter into the promised land. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so when you're criticizing and when you're complaining, you're not just having neutral words. You're actually prophesying something spiritual over the people that you're speaking and over your own life. And God says, you've prophesied that you want to die in the wilderness. You're going to get what you want. And you're never going to enter in to what I have for you. Except two people, Joshua and Caleb. Because the Bible says they were of a different spirit. And so for the next 40 years, do you know what they do? They go round and round in circles in the wilderness. Complaining. Eating manna. Round and round. Can I say to you, I don't want to spend my life going round in circles. I don't want this church to spend its life stuck going round in circles. I personally want to enter into everything that Christ died to give me. And I don't want this church to get stuck and stagnant and stale because of a critical spirit. I want this church to enter into the fullness of everything that Christ paid for when he died on the cross. And that's why I'm addressing this this morning. Because we underestimate the power of what we speak. And the Lord would say to us, what you speak is what you will see. And if you speak negativity, and if you speak criticism, and if you speak all of the, all, everything that's wrong, that's what you're going to see. But if you speak faith, if you speak life, if you speak encouragement, if you speak blessing, if you speak a future filled with hope, that is what you're going to see. And so what do we do? as we come to communion this morning. If some of this has resonated with us, and I know it has with me as I've studied it this week, do you know what we do? We don't stand condemned. We do what we always do. We come back to the gospel and we repent. We come to God and we say, God, I, I, as Craig has been speaking, I have sensed some of that critical spirit in me. And God, I repent of that. I renounce it and I say, I don't want to live like that any longer. I don't want to go round and round in circles because I've never fully valued the goodness of God. And so from now on, God, I determine that I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak encouragement. I'm going to speak hope. The gospel's always the answer. And the good news is this, there's always more grace than you need. And so why don't we take a moment as we come to communion this morning. Perhaps the band could come up. And this, as we come to communion, it's a good time for us to, to weed out some of this stuff in our hearts. I know this isn't a sermon that I'm going to get a lot of good amens from, and that's okay. 
In a sense, it felt almost like spiritual surgery when I was preparing it. But when, when you go in for surgery and they remove something from you, it's not to harm you, but to heal you. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do that this morning. He wants to uproot some things in our hearts. He wants to pull up the weeds. And so just as we come to communion, perhaps we can take a moment and just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for where there's been criticism undue criticism, negativity, where I've had a critical spirit, where I've fault, been a fault finder. I'm sorry that I have focused more on my lack than on your provision, than on what I don't have rather than what you have, do, what you have given me. And so God, I determine from this day forward that if you will give me the strength by your Holy Spirit, I will live a life of gratitude. I will live a life of gratitude. And so I renounce the fault-finding critical spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring the fruit of the spirit out of my life. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And God, we thank you that there's so much grace there's so much grace for us because of what Christ has done. That on the cross, Christ took all of our sin.